Welcome to Medicare for All Explained. This podcast will enlighten our listeners and dispel the distortions that surround Medicare for All. Medicare for All Explained is produced in collaboration with Physicians for a National Health Program and is hosted and produced by Joe Sparks. I'm your host, Joe Sparks. This is Episode 68, How Tragedy Created a single-payer advocate. My guest, Scott DeNoyer, became a supporter and advocate for single-payer health care after tragedy struck his family, and his story provides a powerful lesson on why we need Medicare for all. Scott DeNoyer, welcome to Medicare for All Explained. Thank you, Joe. I Really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to come on here. Uh, the passion of mine is uh, it's my goal to make sure that we get there. So I cannot thank you enough for having me on because everything that we do is a move in the right direction. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on and thank you for being here. And I'd like to start to ask, how did you get involved in the single-payer health care movement? Um, well, it actually started way back in 2015, very minor. In 2015, I had heard uh, Nina Turner on the television, and she was talking about Bernie and Medicare for All. And it had dawned on me that I knew nothing about healthcare systems in other countries. I was ignorant to the fact that other countries had free medical service at the point available, you know, at the moment of at the time of service, you know, and we Americans, you know, are ignorant to this. But when Bernie lost and he quickly came around, he didn't quickly come around, but when he came around and endorsed Hillary and with all the slack I was getting, I was backing off. I was, 2016 was the first time I ever voted. But what really happened was in 2019, my oldest son, Danny, um, had come to move in with me and he was having some domestic problems with his baby's mom. And because of those domestic problems, there were some legal issues that also arose. And February of 2019, like three weeks later, he comes home to me and he goes, Pops, I want to get my medicine refilled today and found out that my insurance had been canceled. I'm like, okay, Danny, not a big deal. How much is your medicine? And um, he told us it was $250, which that's a big deal because we don't ever have $250 just lying around the house, you know? So I was like, okay, well, you know what? You have an appointment with your therapist in a couple of weeks. I'm sure she can help you out. In the meantime, we'll try to come up with the money, and you need to get a hold of Fidelis and find out what's going on. Well, what he didn't call right away. He's like most kids. He waited a couple of days, and he called like April 1st or April 2nd. And when he called, he found out that he missed a $20 premium payment to his Medicaid plan, part of the ACA's managed Medicaid program. And that's why they cut him off of his insurance plan and subsequently his medicine, which was Risperidone and has a known suicidal risk to withdrawals. I mean, I clearly remember the conversation we had in the, my kitchen that day. And he goes, Pops, I know I need this medicine. Well, it was April 9th that we saw his post on Facebook 
it was about 11.23 in the morning, and I'd seen it like 32 seconds after he posted it. And it showed a picture of the cab of his truck overlooking the water. And his note says to us, I'm saying goodbye. This world wasn't meant for me. Maybe the next life will be better. I super glued my seatbelt shut. Double checked. I don't have the strength to open it. I'm sorry for hurting those who care. This is selfish, I'm sure. <sighs> Daniel and Hazel, I'm so fucking sorry. He drove his truck into the Mohawk River. That's why I got involved. I, his funeral, I promised him that I will make our lawmakers look me in the eye, see the consequences of their decisions. I've not stopped since. It's been almost three years now. Every single day I wake up, I wake up knowing my son is not here. When this happened, I tweeted out in anger what happened to Danny. I only had 35 followers. And it was retweeted 32,000 times within two days. I reached Bernie's campaign. And they started amplifying Danny's story. I asked our vice president-elect if she would share Danny's story in support of Medicare for All. Now, the video she shared that was made by now this, nowhere in the video does it mention Medicare for All. It mentions that I blame the for-profit health insurance system. Three weeks later, after sharing Danny's story, Kamala introduced her plan for insurance companies like Centene that killed my son to sell us Medicare. In other words, Danny, if he still missed his payment to her Medicare plan, he'd still be dead. She used Danny's story as a commercial for the ones who murdered him. So I'm on a mission to make our politicians look me in the eye. I've sat in front of senators. I've sat in front of House representatives. I've sat in front of state representatives. They must understand when they support the for-profit motive system that we have in place right now, they are 100% supporting murders like my son and 58,000 of other insured people. Now, that Yale study also said, I'm probably going on further than you want me to, but the Yale study said 68,000 people that lose their lives per year that are insured. It also mentioned the additional 26,000 people that were uninsured, and you couldn't follow the paperwork because they're uninsured. So those 26,000 lives are ignored by the mainstream media. Then, just a couple months ago, the Columbus University cited it that one in three COVID deaths can be contributed to not having insurance. So on top of the Yale study that's six years old now, and the one in three COVID deaths, that's well over 100,000 lives every single year that could have been avoided, but were not. They were intentionally not taken care of so that somebody can make some money. So some person can have money in their pocket knowingly killing someone's child because all of those 100,000 people had parents. They're all somebody's child. They're all somebody's brother, sister, mother, father, uncle, etc. They're all loved by someone and they're gone and those loved ones have to sit around and know every single day that those loved ones are gone because somebody needed to make a dollar off of them. 
I think that's why I do this. Well, that's a good reason. And I can't imagine the pain you were under. You know, I've heard your story, but to hear you tell it is very moving. And I know when I discussed interviewing, I said, you know, would you be willing to talk about it? And you said yes. And I know it's very painful for you. So thank you for sharing that story. As a father myself, it's very hard to hear, and I am heartbroken to hear that story. And it just makes, as it does you, although I'm sure you're more, it just makes me so angry, and I wish I could do more. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i so inspired by so many activists that have gotten behind me and helped me and supported me. You know, you're, you're one among many others, and I've adapted the suicide prevention hashtag, no one fights alone, because I knew. I mean, I'm just a small, poor father that lives in the middle of a colonial town that nobody even heard of. And I made a promise to make our vice president look me in the eye. I'm not crazy. I know I can get there. But the only way I can get there is with everyone's help. And everybody has been making sure that I get there. You know, people like yourself amplifying Danny's story, um, amplifying why we need Medicare for All so we can stop stories like Danny's from happening. The sad part is, is Danny's story is not alone. You know, again, it's 100,000 lives every single year. They may not be as horrific in the details, but I'm sure every single one of those 100,000 family members that are left behind, they remember. They remember very well. One of the reasons that I can't let go of this is because of all the stories I've heard. You know, many of us heard about Amy Valola and her daughter, Shalin, who was a Bernie delegate in 2016. You know, many haven't heard about Abby, though. Abby, her mom, had an autoimmune disease, and she transferred that disease genetically to her daughter, Abby. This was before the pre-existing condition was. So when Abby was born, she had a pre-existing condition. Now, her mom took care of her treatments by herself, you know, that they were different than what an infant would get. And Abby died at the age of two. That mother, she doesn't think that she transferred an autoimmune disease to her daughter genetically. She thinks, I gave Abby this disease, like a gift. And then she thinks, I took care of myself and didn't take care of Abby. I let her die while I took care of myself. That guilt drove that mom to self-medicate, and she ended up on the streets. My first conference I ever did was in Portland, and I wandered past all the homeless tents. And I saw the way people treated these homeless people. You know, they looked down on them. And any single one of those people could have been Abby's mom. I guarantee you, almost every single one of those people had a story like Abby's mother. We can do better in this country, but the only way we do better is for all of us to stand up and demand that our 
elected officials do better. We don't do that through division. That's why I chose that hashtag, no one fights alone. It wasn't about me fighting with everyone else. I need everyone else to fight with me. Well, some of us are certainly working on it. May I ask what you are working on now? Yeah, I just got done doing um, a small poster event down in Yonkers. Um, that was also funded by other grassroots activists that donated to... Um, it was only a $300 event. It was kind of awesome. We had... Uh, I joined um, the Red Berets, which is a group of activists out in Washington. Um, they started off working on Medicare for All in the Bill Hole, Washington, which is a state-based um, single-payer universal health care bill much like we have here in New York with the New York Health Act. And it would remove the for-profit motive system out of our health care. It would remove the insurance companies from our health care system. Everybody that lives in New York would get health care free at the point of service, whether it's mental health, which is written into the bill, or hearing aids or you know cancer treatment, anything your doctor deems medically necessary is covered. So I started working with the Red Berets, and I just recently opened my own chapter here in New York, which I'm very proud also kind of snowballed into, I think it's like 12 or 14 other Red Beret chapters across the country now. We have one in Tennessee, in Pennsylvania, in Oregon, in California, Florida, Maine, Massachusetts, and a couple of city ones as well. And I'm sorry if I forgot one of them. I'm sure I did. Well, the red berets, what we do is we knit berets and we use that as a symbol of solidarity, much like the pink pussy hats that they had for Hillary Clinton. Except this is for universal single-payer health care. And we are very much so dirty ponies with tea. You know, we don't buy into any of the corporate bullshit. We're not looking for um, public options or lowering prescription costs by raising taxes for people to put it in a big pool. Single-payer universal health care system, removing the middleman from our health care. So I've opened that chapter up here in New York, and we just did that postering event for Andrea Cousins, because Andrea Cousins is the Senate majority leader and was the one who made sure that the bill did not make it through legislation and pulled the health committee before it can make it through. Um, she's heard Danny's story. I've called her office probably well over 100 times. Um, her staff knows my phone number when I call and answers, hello, Mr. Denoyer. <laughs> <laughs> so she's heard Danny's story. And she went out of her way to make sure that bill did not make it through, and she made sure to protect Danny's murderers. So what I did was we put up over 100 posters around her office and in her neighborhood. Um, they were wanted posters with her picture. They did not have a bullseye. They did not call for violence. It said wanted Andrea Stewart Cousins for colluding with, 68, with the murderers of 68,000 lives a year for profit. And then we go on to, in the poster, explaining how she accepted over $500,000 in donations between insurance lobbyists, and medical field donations, and how she pulled the health committee. Then we asked for all New Yorkers to call to Andrea Cousins 
and demand that she puts people over profits and calls the New York Health Act for a vote. Now, from there, the Poor People Campaign, which is an awesome, awesome group of people, um, they're having a march on Washington on uh, the 13th, and they've invited me to be a speaker for Medicare for All. Now, their Moral, Mar Moral Monday March is for um, Voting Rights Act and to demand that they actually hold up a little bit of Build Back Better bill left. And they've been so awesome and such amazing allies when it comes to single-payer universal health care bill. And I'm really excited to be able to do this one because, again, Washington, D.C., I've, I've got a promise to Danny, and I won't stop until I've met that. And that promise isn't just making our lawmakers look me in the eye. It's making sure his monsters aren't able to do this to anyone else here in America. This podcast will not be published until December 15th. So that event by the Poor People's Campaign will have already happened. Okay. But I think it's good that people become aware of it, even if it's after the event. Right. Yep. And there'll be video at that point, too. So you've talked about your work. What do you think needs to happen to make Medicare for All a reality? Well, in my, you know, opinion, with Nancy Pelosi being Speaker of the House, who said she's not a fan of Medicare for All, Joe Biden as our president, who has said that he would veto Medicare for All, and our Vice President Kamala Harris calling the stunt that she did using my son's story the way she did. I don't believe we have a path at this moment to pass national Medicare for all without removing at least those three figureheads. However, I do believe we can still pass state-based legislation, as I was saying, with whole Washington, CalCare, uh, MassCare has got a pretty good bill. Um, Maine is working on a pretty good bill. Uh, they got a ballot initiative just like whole Washington does. And, of course, the New York Health Act. Our idea with the Red Berets is to build a national effort, a national strategy to pass state-based legislation such as these bills. And they said, we are purity ponies, and we're not going to accept a bill that allows the insurance companies to thrive and survive. That is our goal, is to remove insurance companies and be able to get negotiating power with the pharmaceutical companies. And once we get at least three of these states passed, I believe we'll have enough momentum to push the national effort through. The only way we do this is by knowing off what we can. It's what we've done with um, marijuana legalization. It's what we've done with voting rights. It's what we've done with gay marriage. And on down the line, every bill before it goes federal gets pushed in a couple of states first. And that's when you build the momentum. And that's our goal. That's an interesting strategy, and you're right what you said. Historically, often things start at the state level and then pass at the national level. So if we can get it in some states, great, but I also think we still need to keep working at the national level. 100%. 100%. And that we believe that we can work on both at the same time and that we should work on both at the same time. 
you can get a lot of pushback from different groups that think state-based legislation is an obstacle rather than getting us closer. But uh, many of us are aware that that's exactly how Canada got theirs. Is first Saskatchewan, which is a very small province, you know, they really needed to get people in there. So they that's why they passed their single-payer um, bill to begin with. And what do you know? When they did that, people started moving into Saskatchewan, just like everyone's afraid is going to happen here in New York. <laughs> everyone's going to run in for our free health care. And then when they do, we have all these workers and things grow. And then the other states are like, hey, we want our people back. And they start passing legislation. And that's what happened in Canada. You know, Saskatchewan grew so fast and their production like just increased so much so quickly that the other provinces caught on. And now they have it across the entire country. I haven't thought about that, but that's a great point. And also having stable health care costs. And a healthier population would also greatly benefit the states economically and probably increase entrepreneurship. Another thing people don't realize is almost everything, once you have your car insurance, would be reduced because part of your car insurance is liability because of health care, correct? And if that's no longer covered on your car insurance because there's, you know, national single payer health care then that would come off your car insurance. Um, I believe part of your home insurance is also written for health reasons. That would come off. So it would be economic across the board. It's also conceivable that prices would go down because healthcare costs would go down, but given our capitalist system, I doubt prices would go down. <laughs> yeah, they, they find a way, don't they? <laughs> yes. One of the things you talked about how upset you were about how the vice president used Danny in an ad. Is there anything else that infuriates you about our current health care system? I mean, everything about our health care system is a Ponzi scheme. The fact that you can pay in your entire life while you're working and healthy. You know, and then when you get sick and you're not able to work, first you have a deductible that you have to meet, which would eat up your savings. And at that point, you can't make the payment to your insurance company and you get dropped. You know, that, that's, that's sick. That's sick and disgusting. So when you need it the most is when you're not going to get it. And they're aware. You know, not, not just the insurance companies, but the politicians that are selling these to us are aware. I was recently uh, watched the documentary for Adi Barkin, who was a huge voice for Medicare for All, and I guess he still is the leading voice for Medicare for All, which is really sad because, I mean, he started, during the primaries, he started coming around saying, you know, that... Maybe we can work with Senator Warren. And she said that she believes there's still room for insurance companies in our health care system. Now, if somebody who was a tree service man and did direct TV installs can figure out our, how much of a Ponzi scheme this complicated health care system is, 
these people that are very well educated and much smarter than me can certainly figure it out and have, but they get paid to look the other way. That ain't right. Danny's insurance company was Fidelis Care. And the CEO of Fidelis Care is Father Frawley, which was part of the Albany Diocese and actually fathered a parish in Albany back in the 70s. And part of the Catholic belief is the one unforgivable sin that anybody that takes their own life is taking the one unforgivable sin is forever condemned to purgatory. I'm glad I don't believe in that. However, Father Frawley preached it for years and years. And how many thousands of patients does he deny medications to every single day over not paying him money? Then, shortly after this all happened, Governor Cuomo recently had rescinded the $20 essential plan for Medicaid patients, saying it was inhumane. Now, three of the people on the health committee, um, Senator Gustavo Rivera, uh, Assemblyman Dick Godfrey, and Assemblyman Phil Steck, I worked closely with them, and they're well aware of Danny's story. None of them would have spoken about that $20 premium without bringing up Danny's story. None of them. I know this for a fact. Yet, Governor Cuomo didn't reach out to me. And do you know why? I'll tell you why. Because he knows what I would say. I would have said, thank you, Governor, for making sure Fidelis can't kill any more of our children over $20. But to hell with you for making sure that they survive and can kill somebody else's child for a different dollar amount. Because that's exactly what he did. He's not trying to save Danny's. He was trying to save the insurance company. And he did. Because he could have passed the New York Health Act and removed those monsters from our health care. But he decided to save them and get rid of that ugly story. I'm not sure how to respond to that. It's just it's terrible horrific. what they do. 100%. They know what they're doing. And that's what pisses me off. When Kamala shared Danny's story, she was running to be the president of the United States. You don't think her plan was already drawn up three weeks before she introduced it? She knew 100% when she shared Danny's story that her health care plan was to save the insurance industry. With a 10-year fade-out bill, the ACA was decimated under three months of GOP rule. 10 years? Yeah, 100%. Centene would have made hundreds and thousands of customers. Customers that they would deny health care to, just like they did Danny, and they'd make money, and people will be denied health care. And Kamala knew it when she shared Danny's story, amplifying her Medicare for All bullshit plan. Before we end, is there anything that you would like to add? Well, there are um, definitely all these different events. But you know what? I think I definitely want, if people can help out, if they want to help out, first off, they can follow me on Twitter is my main place where I share most of my stuff. Uh, Scott Desno, S-C-O-T-T-D-E-S-N-O, or Denoyer Scott. And my newest one would be at NY Fred Berets. That's where I want to amplify. We have an event on the 10th 
coming up. It's a nationwide. It started off as a knit-in, but we decided a craft circle is better. It's artists from all over the country that are going to join in on a Zoom call, just like in old-fashioned days where they would all sit around and talk and just go over, you know, as they knit the flags or whatever they were doing. We're going to have knitters, crocheters. I don't have any business around a knitting needle. So instead, I'm going to be crafting wooden pins at this event. Um, that I use, uh, I created this healthcare solidarity apple. It's a graphic that's only connected in the middle between a heartbeat and a cross, medical cross. If you could go to the Red Berets MedicareForAll.com and check out their site. If you're interested, they have um, Red Berets that they sell uh, to fund the Bill Hole Washington and fund uh, different Medicare for All events. Um, they, their donations got me out to Washington uh, twice now, to once to Vancouver and once to Tacoma. So, yeah, if you can help these Red Berets out, that would be incredible. Um, you could also find some of my healthcare salary Apple pins on there that I get nothing. I get no proceeds from that. I just send them out to them, and they use the proceeds to fund ballot initiatives and fighting for Medicare for all. That would be awesome. Anybody that can reach out to the Red Berets and buy a Red Beret, wear it in solidarity, support single-payer universal health care. Scott, again, thank you for relieving your traumatic event. I know that's painful. And thank you so much for being on Medicare for All Explained. Again, thank you for having me on. I think I'm very clear how much I appreciate it and why I appreciate it. Again, no one fights alone. We've got to finish this. And the only way we do that is together. You have been listening to Medicare for All Explained. Remember to tell your family, friends, and colleagues about this podcast. Information about Medicare for All Explained can be found at our website, medicareforallexplained.org. The music for this show is Super Bubbly by Jesse Spillane. The logo was created by Lily Sparks. Thank you for listening.